Please pray with me. Lord, we declare in song, in prayer, through the meditation of our hearts in this time, that we put ourselves below the authority of you. You are the way of life. You are the truth. You have come to set us free, even from ourselves. We submit to you in whatever it is you have to say. Speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. As John already described, today is Ash Wednesday. You follow the historical calendar of the church. Ash Wednesday is the day, of course, that comes. It starts 46 days of the season of Lent, and it follows Palm Sunday. And the reason it's Ash Sunday is we are reminded from Ecclesiastes that from dust we were made and from dust we will return, and it's a reminder of immortality. And so this Christian tradition has been that you actually take the palms from Palm Sunday that represent our aspirations um, and our dreams and the political and military hopes that the disciples and all of Israel had, and then you burn them. And out of those ashes... Our hopes and our aspirations and our self-protection and our militant desires become crucified. They die. And then in some churches, the tradition is those ashes are then placed on our foreheads as a reminder that every day we wake up to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. That every day, unlike other religions where you're told to wear a certain garb or your head has to be covered or you wear something on your person, we wear the clothing of Christ. That cruciform living, a life that is patterned after Jesus becomes what becomes the message that is our life in front of the world. Not only that, but it's Jesus' plan on how the world would come to know him. Not the cross of ashes one day a year on your forehead, but the cruciform living that it represents inside of you every day. And so churches will say things today like this, let today be the day you give up who you've been for who you can become. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Lord, we're asking you to help us give up the king we wanted for the one that we need. And the cross, this symbol, it's often said in, in English that a picture is worth a thousand years. Well, this one, or a thousand words. But this symbol is worth thousands of years. And cruciform living is our witness. During this season of Lent, we're going to do something a little bit different too. Um, every Wednesday during Lent, you're going to get an email from me um, to campus with just some challenges and some directions, some ways to live into this season. Heard a lot of conversations this week about what are you giving up for Lent? It's another common Christian practice during this season. And it's not like somehow giving up Facebook or steak for 46 days is somehow equivalent to the sacrifice of Christ. That's not the point of it. The point of giving something up is just to create some sort of reminder at a more increased rate in your life to think about the fact that the ultimate sacrifice was given for us. And that's the reason behind that kind of behavior. This so will challenge you to think about what that might mean in your own life. 
We pick up the story as we've been walking through the Gospel of John now in chapter 13. This begins the whole section. It's the farewell discourse, the last hours. Jesus' time with his disciples to give him one last explanation. Not many people in this world get to know or have some sort of privileged view into the moment when they are going to die. And if they did, you would say something probably rather profound. Jesus, knowing what lay ahead, says these things and enters into this moment with his disciples. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him, Then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, as that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. It was just before the Passover. We've seen throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus has this way of fulfilling all of the feasts. And the feasts become sort of this theme that John's woven through his Gospel. And what's so interesting is that for the one Gospel writer who seems the most interested in the feasts, he's the one who actually, at this moment in time, veers off course, departs the story, and leaves out what so many would regard as one of the most important parts of the Gospels. Have you ever noticed that in the Gospel of John? This is the moment now when the Lord's Supper occurs, but he doesn't tell it the same way that Matthew and Mark and Luke and the synoptics do. He goes a different direction. And he doesn't focus on that this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he doesn't say, this is my body, take and eat. And he, he doesn't do that. Instead, he focuses on something entirely different. 
And so you have to ask yourself in a moment like this, John, one of the disciples who would have been present in that moment, years later now writing the story, remembering the night when the Lord's Supper was instituted, one of the sacraments of the Christian faith, doesn't focus in on that because there was something that stood out in his mind that was even bigger than that. Some Christians have argued that if that's the case, the way John tells us, foot washing should actually be a sacrament. Because this is the way John tells it. Something is so deep and profound going on in this moment. And that's what we get to try to look at and unpack today in this text. I lost my place. One of the reasons some of the commentators suggest that this, this is so important is what happens in this line right here in the opening of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some translations of the Bible said, and then he showed them the full extent of his love. So to the end, like to the nth degree, to the absolute end of love, to the full extent of his love, which sounds really interesting, and commentators have all this sort of debate going back and forth as I was reading through commentaries on this saying, this is interesting because the crucifixion doesn't happen for six more chapters in the Gospel of John, so isn't it strange that here John would refer to this as the full extent of his love? He loved them to the end. As this keeps going, come across in verse 4. I'm sorry, you guys. My notes got messed up and I'm thrown off. Comes to this line. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. This might be like one of the most important so's in the Gospels, right? Like everything comes before. This is the reason why Jesus does this. This is the reason why he gets up. He knows the ending of the story. He knows the purpose for which he has come. And we already learn in the text that's come before this in chapter 12 where Jesus prays, not Father, save me from this hour, but it's for this hour that I have come. That he understands this is the intent and the purpose. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. And he pours water in a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now you have to understand, of course, that why the disciples would have all walked past this moment and never have thought to have done this for themselves. That even in a culture, right, where you come in and you would clean your feet because you live in a world where millions of people have come in, they all travel dusty roads because nothing is paved, and animals defecate all over the street because that's how you transport things in a world where you don't have cars, and feet walk and tread through the feces of animals and whatever dirt has been on the road, and many of them have traveled a great distance, and so you come into a world where you walk everywhere into the room, but it's considered so gross and so disgusting to wash somebody's feet that in the first century Israel, it was actually not appropriate for even a Jewish servant to wash somebody's feet because it would make them unclean. It was considered that gross and disgusting. So the disciples weren't like being rude in the moment by walking past the bowl that would have been there to find their seat at the table because they're waiting for somebody lower than them 
Maybe even somebody even lower than a Jewish person in their own eyes that would come and serve them in that moment. And then Jesus gets up, and then the way the story is told, he takes off his clothing, and he makes himself even physically look like a servant, and then goes around and washes their feet. And as I thought about this this week, I thought, so I saw something in this text that I'd never seen before. Jesus doesn't skip Judas. It never says that he skips anybody in the room. It tells us that he knew what was about to happen. He knew the one who would betray him. And yet even there, in the front of his enemy, as love is showing its greatest extent, it is also being betrayed at the worst possible level, all in the same moment, all at the same table, all in the same room. And in that moment, the one who told us to love your enemies washes the feet of the one who betrays him. Not only that, as he takes Passover and institutes this moment into the Lord's Supper, he serves him. The one who would betray him, who would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. He washes his feet. And Jesus teaches us in this moment a way that we are called to live. He's been teaching it forever, and now he models it in a new way for the disciples. That the way that the world is going to be transformed is not a punch for a punch, and not my army for your army, and not my bomb for your bomb, but the hope for the transformation of all things is going to come when love wins by love serving. And what gets taught to us in this moment as this passage begins to develop before it turns into this challenge to now go and do likewise, is Jesus is challenging us to think about what that would mean. And of course, he comes to Simon Peter, who's always the one who argues with them. Peter argues with Jesus more than any other disciple. And this is not the last argument that Peter's going to have with him either. Even in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, on the other side of the resurrection, resurrection Peter is still arguing with Jesus. From chapter 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He's getting, and Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus has been trying to get Peter and everyone else to follow him, follow him, follow him, be like me. And there's this ministry passing of baton, basically saying, Peter, I need you to be like me. That sword that you pulled out to protect me, I need you to put it away. And the way that you wanted to protect me from, you need to put it away. And the way that even you used lies to protect yourself, standing by the fire as you warmed yourself watching me be beaten, I need you to put all that away. And I need you to follow me in the path of love and self-denial. So Peter's so opposed to this, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Because as the passage in Bill's, right, Jesus says, now that I, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, and then we would expect him to say, and now you, I want you to wash mine. Right? That's how I think everybody else in the world would have done it in that moment, but not the Son of God. 
The great evangelist Leslie Newbegin refers to that right there as the most, the most complicating and most difficult line in this text. That we all would have expected the tit for tat because that's how this world works. But not in the kingdom of God. Peter opposes and the story moves. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place with the question, do you understand what I've done for you? And this is so key for them to get because the gospel hinges on this. Do you understand what I've done for you? I sat and pondered on that line for a long time this week. I think one of the challenges of Lent is to sit in this question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Because it changes everything. And then, of course, you also should wash one another's feet. you got to do this like I did. Gordon Fee says that love is not an idea or even a motivating factor for behavior. To love is to act, and anything short of action isn't love at all. My friends, this world's greatest critique of everyone who claims to follow Jesus is that so often our actions betray the words that we've previously spoken. That we don't follow up. It's because we talk about theology and we talk about love and we talk about God, but we don't always look like him. And this passage of nothing else is the reminder moving towards the cross that this isn't just the path the Savior took. This is the path that he's calling everyone who would come after him to take. And that our love has to be enacted. Our love has to be lived out. Any of you who are here for First Mondays and listen to Christina Edmondson talk about their definition of a neighbor, love has to be acted out to probably the person we least want it to be. As I thought about this part of the text this week, I thought, who are the people in the world right now that I can't stand the most? I was embarrassed how long that list was. People I'm fighting with, people I don't like, people who I think don't like me, And then I'm challenged by this. Because I'm realizing that as I read this text that to wash their feet is to wash the feet of Jesus. And to refuse to do so is to claim in my own way that I am better than Christ. If he would do that, for the greatest enemy of love exhibited in all time, the one who would sell out the Son of God, I must do this. I must learn how to wash the feet of the people that it's most difficult for me to be able to do in all the ways that that means. And so are you. I've set you an example. Another way to translate this word is pattern. Jesus is teaching apprentices how you're going to follow after him. And as the text moves towards the end in verse 16, we finally get to this line. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is the only time in the Gospel of John that the word apostolos is used. He's referred to them as the the disciples. He's referred to them as the twelve. And here, only here, after he teaches them to wash one another's feet and wash the feet of their enemies of the rest of the world, modeling that, only now are they ready to be the sent ones. Only now are they ready to be apostles and messengers for Jesus, understanding that that is the heart of the message itself. That is not a mistake that John chooses this moment and Jesus chose this moment and then John tells the story that here is what it means to be an apostle. 
And I'm intimidated by the last line in the text. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. There's a big old if in there. That our blessing in life, our ability to live into the flourishing, our ability to leverage the crucifixion, our ability to live into cruciform living, our ability to celebrate the resurrection will depend upon our ability to live into these things, to become the action of love that Jesus challenges to, to be by washing one another's feet. I'm going to give you an email later today with some suggestions on how we can incorporate that a little more fully into our own life. Um, I hope you have a chance to pull aside a roommate or at a dinner table um, or in your own quiet time and sort of reflect on that and think about what God might be asking each one of us to do in terms of who he's bringing to mind in our own life that we need to act out the love of Christ a little more fully to. The old hymn says, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Through acts of service and a reconnection with what we say and what we do, coming back together in the cruciform living of Lent, that we will find our wholeness a little more fully and a greater reflection of who Jesus asked us to be. And then we will be effective messengers, apostolos sent in his name. We pray with me. Father, we acknowledge and we admit that our failures are so many, that every single one of us here in our own ways have been a hypocrite. Every one of us in our own ways have believed that we are better than somebody else or said or shown to the world around us. We think we're better than somebody, that somebody isn't worthy or deserving of our attention. God, you remind us that when we wash the feet of we wash your feet. Help us to understand the fullness of what that means and the challenges of what you're laying before us and, Lord, the ways that you want to transform us as a result. The power of love, of sacrificial, self-effacing love that you modeled perfectly and that we're still stumbling along to figure out and live into. God bless us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you please rise for a parting blessing. Friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. I pray that every day more and more your life would look like that, and that living into it you would experience the fullness of blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus. Have a beautiful day in love and service to your King and others. Amen.